Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's The Polis, and I'm Ryan, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Tucker Marcus. And every week, we run you through all the new Marvel comics that are on sale, from the print issues to the digitals, mm-hmm. collections and stuff hitting our apps. We're talking about the books on sale May 22nd, 2019. First up, talking about these books is Age of X-Men, Amazing Nightcrawler, number four, before I even get into the creative team, which I, I love, it opens on this big fight in a mall, and it reminds me of the first episode of WCW Monday Nitro, which <laughs> took place inside the Mall of America. Nice. That was all I could think of when this was going on. <laughs> anyway, this is written by Sean McGuire, art by Juan Fergari, with colors by Dono Sanchez Almada, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. But yeah, big old fight between the two rival film studios here uh but there's a really fun bit that i saw after the battle that i really dug juan the artist he's got these couple of this page of nightcrawler and his people they're kind of cooling off after the fight and then kylan is in the background and in one panel he is buying a snack then he's eating it and he's happily like digging into the bag of snacks Mm -hmm. it's one of those little things where you watch an artist just like go to town with something, yeah. and it's so fun. It adds so much character to this. Uh, I really dig the way Shannon writes this little girl named Tinia and the interactions around her, especially with Megan, with Mystique, and with Celeste. The family relationship angles of this book really click for me. Nice. All right, my first book this week is As Guardians of the Galaxy, number nine, which is written by Colin Bunn, with art by Paolo Villanelli, colors by Federico Blee, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Um, I don't think we've shouted it out exactly mm. on the on the podcast yet, but spoiler alert for Marvel Studios Avengers Endgame, Colin Bunn, way to go. With the title of this book. Oh, I was like, <laughs> what did Colin do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we've had this title going now for a while, yeah. and then you actually get a mention of yeah. As Guardians of the Galaxy <laughs> by so the end cool. of the film. That's true. It's great. This issue ties in directly with all the stuff going down in War of the Realms because in War of the Realms number two... Brunhilde got on the business end of a light space sword being held by the Dark Elf. She Nagat. was killed, listeners. Yeah. That was that's what happened. <laughs> that's that's so what Tucker is getting. A short version of that. <laughs> uh, this issue is really really fun because it reminds me of of one of my favorite short stories ever, uh, an occurrence at Owl Creek Bridge, which I know I've I've definitely shouted out on the podcast at least once or twice over the years because this is really interesting. It kind of plays with time in a really fascinating way. It plays with time and space um, and the mystery uh, or uncertainty around Brunhilde's fate uh, in a really, really fun way, in in a way that fits perfectly with Asgardian myth and legend and lore, but in a way that also feels very personal to this team and the team members because we know for a lot of different reasons that there are, uh, you know, a lot of connections and personal stakes here with this group. I love it, and why I called out uh, that short story in particular is because that short story essentially takes place in, like, the kind of burst of a mind like as it dies this entire story takes place in like a tenth of a second and Mm. you only kind of reveal that at the end but it's really cool just playing with that space between life and death it's uncertain what you're actually seeing all uh you know things are revealed as you go along but it's really really fun to lean into that fact and kind of explore things in in what felt like a really fresh really exciting really dramatic way here i really enjoyed this issue 
Yeah. I like how your point of reference for like your personal <laughs> connection to a story is like this really interesting story, short story about life and death. And I'm like, yeah, it reminded me of the first episode of wrestling when they were fighting in a mall. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's great. All right. Up next is Avengers number 19, nearly one of my picks of the week. This one is written by Jason Aaron with art by Ed McGinnis, inks by Mark Morales, colors by Justin Ponsor and Eric Arciniego with letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This issue is all about the siege of Avengers Mountain. As Malekith's army, they, they try to take down and take over Avengers HQ. And our POV character for this one is Gorilla Man. Ken! Yeah, Ken Hale! <laughs> Which is, you know, it's cool. He's originally an Atlas-era character in one of the, sort of like the, the anthology books. He came back, of course, when it really fleshed him out in Agents of Atlas, and he's been around, and most recently he's been one of, you know, Black Panther's Agents of Wakanda, and he, so he's really helping out. But he's just this dude who's cursed to live forever as the Gorilla Man after killing the last Gorilla Man, which mm -hmm. I find such a cool yeah. idea. It's like, you get to live forever, but then you're stuck in this Gorilla Man body, and maybe if you've lived 100 years is that, you're like, dang, this kind of stinks. Yeah. Um, but it's it's really cool. Uh, he drinks hard. He fights well. He's kind of the perfect Jason Aaron <laughs> character to play with. Uh, but there's tons of secrets up in here. There's stuff that Gorilla Man is taken care of and other stuff he's involved in. Uh, but in the middle of this massive event, we get this issue, which feels huge and a great part of things. I, I, I say in the middle of this massive event, this is the second of nine War of the Realms tie-ins we have this week. Wow. So it's a lot. But, you know, this issue feels huge. It's a great part of that big story. But it's also something deeply ingrained in the greater Avengers story that we're following. And the Ed McGinnis art, man, few people draw Black Panther as awesomely as he does. He's like, his Panther is kind of terrifying, mm -hmm. super badass. And then there's all these kinds of action scenes inside the Celestial is really oh, yeah. wild. Yeah, awesome stuff. Okay, next up we have Doctor Strange number 14, which is told the storytellers are Barry Kitson and Mark Wade. That's right, Mr. Barry Kitson coming through here. So, so good. Finishes by Scott Koblish, colors by Brian Reber, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This issue is so much fun, you know, not just because we have Barry Kitson on art duty, but because it really feels like a classic Galactus tale. It has that cosmic just like this gigantic feel to it. It feels so operatic, so huge. Big week for Clea also, uh, which is really, really fun to, to see those moments pop up. You know what I always say, Tucker? Clea mania running wild. Yes. Like I said, I love this story because the art is so gorgeous. It's so you know idiosyncratic and perfect. And then it also ties in beautifully to the hugeness of this story. This one gets pretty spoilery, uh, especially during the second half. Some really, really interesting moves are made with, with Galactus and the Herald of Galactus here. He shifts from a skirt to a skort. Yeah. It's huge. It's, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Yep. All right. Up next is Marvel Comics Presents number five. And as we have been doing with MCP uh, the entire year so far, we have three stories and these are all set within the decade that we're celebrating for Marvel's 80th anniversary here in, it's the 1980s. So the first story is written by Charles Soule, art by Dio Neves, with inks by Oren Jr. and colors by Frank D'Armada. Uh, and this one continues the story of Wolverine trying to stop the truth, which is this 
terrifying demon who keeps coming back decade after decade. So what was really fun here was getting some really neat recreations of 80s era Wolverine stuff. Like Logan about to tear it up in the Hellfire Club, which is like right at the beginning of the decade, or fighting the Brood Infection, which mm-hmm. is still one of the most visceral, terrifying images of like Wolverine half changed into a Brood as his right. healing factor fights it. I've well, it's like burned into my brain mm-hmm. since I was a child. Uh, we get a uh, neat interaction between Logan and Doctor Strange. I really think that Neves does some. Fun stuff with the Sanctum Sanctorum. I don't know if you noticed it, but he's like Wolverine goes to the front door and he rings the bell or whatever. And then the whole doorway flips yeah. upside down. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> and he goes inside and one of the walls has eyes and there's tentacles coming out. It's just, it's really trippy. Then we go to our second story. It says it's a Nightcrawler story, but uh, this one is called Demon's Choice featuring Nightcrawler. Written by Chris Claremont. Whoa. Of course, legendary throughout the 1980s with uh, X-Men and more. Art by Luke Ross. Colors by Tamar Bonvalain and letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. And I say more because this is very much an Excalibur story. Because you're getting some really weird time travel, space travel stuff with that whole team. Uh, I was putting it together. I believe it's really connected to a classic story called The Cross Time Caper, Hmm. uh, which is a great X-Men story. Tucker, you can ask your boss about that one. He will will speak very highly of it, I am sure. And then the third story is written by Leah Williams, art by Guillermo Sana, colors by Eric Arseniega, and letters by VC Joe Caramagna. This one is all about Venom. I'm not going to say much because it's trippy and it's weird, but Venom eats chocolate. <laughs> he loves it as chocolate. The, I think, mid-2000s film r- romance Loves him drama. some chocolate. Okay, uh, we're moving on now to Miles Morales, Spider-Man number six, which is by Saladin Ahmed and Javier Garon, with colors by David Curiel and letters by VC's Corey Pettit. And it is my first pick of the week. Man, I I am this is like the this train is like chugga 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 rolling and I am yep. all aboard. So much fun. A big alert here. New villain slash anti-hero. Her name is Starling. We saw her a little bit at the last issue, but we get her origin here. We see how she's connected to the greater Spider-Man mythos. She's from Detroit. Which, uh, shout out to our friend Sam Richardson from the show Veep. He's from Detroit. He and I talked about Detroit-based heroes. We got another character here from Detroit. She's really cool. And, you know, like, Miles and Starling in here, they they fight a little, they flirt a little, they team up a little. Great dynamics. so good. Kind of that perfect Marvel meet-cute. Because, you know, a regular meet-cute is cute (laughs) in most cases. This is... Marvel meet cutes are often like fights, and they don't necessarily mean romance. They just mean like, oh, they're hanging out. They're friends. So you get that great dynamics. I mean, Saladin, he just, he gets it here. He gets Mm -hmm. what makes Miles so special and so relatable. And so, like, you, that that sense of anyone can be Spider Man is so apparent in this book. Like, you feel, I I would be in in those shoes acting the same way feeling the same way that Miles feels. It just gets you right in the heart. But really, good Lord. Javier Garon. Come on. What is happening? Yeah. There's this panel of Spidey thwipping, uh, like, you know, 
you know, in quick succession, he's flipping up to stop Starling from flying away. Mm-hmm. He and, and Javier uses these speed lines and six inset panels of Spidey's hands, you know, doing the thwipping to relay the sense of speed. And yeah. it works so well. It's such a smartly positioned panel just to get you ingrained in like he moved so quick to stop her from taking yeah. off. Uh, and you only have that one little bit of, of time to get that across. It's so well done. Uh, he also gives great fashion looks to so yeah. many characters. We talk about that every issue, especially with the kids in the book. We see some of that here. But I got to give a special shout out to his tombstone. His tombstone, he's got a pink shirt, like a brown and pink vest, purple tie, nice slacks, good shoes, <laughs> a little pocket watch. He looks dapper. It's great. <laughs> and then he's holding up this giant, massive gun thing. Right. Just like the level of detail. We talk about this every time an issue comes out, but I can't stop stressing it. It is so good. It is like, I think this is going to be one of those runs where everybody's going to have to go back after years and be like, wow, what was he doing on this book? This is going to be so influential to a lot of people, I imagine. Uh, And of course, the Starling design, she's incredible. The way it's both classic with reference to her origins and, and who she is, but modern with the touches of the metal around it and like the way her visor is, is positioned and the, the shape of it. It is such a pure fun book. Totally. All right. It's time for our third war of the realms tie in with moon girl and devil dinosaur number 43 written by Brandon Moncler with art by Gustavo Duarte with Ray Anthony height colors by Tamar Von Valen and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. I love this issue. Yeah. Yeah. Great. It's super fun. You've got like, the, the sort of bookends yeah. of the current stuff, which is, you know, really cool seeing how she's positioned her uh, – Lunella and, and Devil are positioned in the War of the Realms. But then you get this flashback adventure, which is just so fun, of, of Lunella and Devil with Thor and the Warriors 3. You got a dragon. You got a castle. Super cute. Has one of my favorite moments for Devil Dinosaur in this issue. Totally. Yeah. I love seeing a character like Thor rendered in that art style. It's just so much fun. Yeah. Okay. Next up, we have Mr. and Mrs. X number 11, which is written by Kelly Thompson with art by Oscar Balzadua, colors by Frank D'Armato, and letters by VCs Joe Sabino. This is the penultimate issue, and we're starting a two-part story with it. This has been so much fun. I've loved Kelly's take on these characters. She obviously knows them so well. She captures their voices impeccably, channeling their decades-long spirit while also making it feel totally modern and present and exciting. And we've been all over the place with uh, these characters in just the last, you know, 10 or so issues. We've been to space. We've been here and there. We've been to kind of strange dimensions and things like that. This coming in for the landing here is really great because this feels like really classic X-Men, really classic Rogue and Gambit because not only do we get to see them kind of at their fighting best, but also they're put in a what, you know, a kind of classic villain kind of mousetrap deal. And uh to see how Gambit attempts to solve the problem Uh, and then fails, and then to see how Rogue attempts to solve the problem and to see them kind of working together but also doing things their own way. It's just always a delight. Really, really like where this is ending up. I I have to give a special shout-out to Kelly for writing this line. So you've got Gambit, he's he's chained up, and he's powered down, and then Rogue, she ends up getting chained up, and then 
the line comes from Rogue, and she says, quote, I mean, I knew our married life would include a lot of chains. I just thought they'd be the fun ones. <laughs> so good. It's super yeah. fun, super cute. All right, up next is Runaways number 21. My second pick of the week. It is written by Rainbow Rowell. Art, Andre Genoulet, with colors by Chris O'Halloran, letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. People often ask me, so what are your favorite books right now? Yeah. It's, and it's hard because we read 20-odd books a, a week, and we're constantly reading comics for other things. Yeah. And so it, my brain is always full of, of things. It's hard to remember everything that I read every every week. I think Runaways is in my top three or five books. Yeah. Currently, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. You know, a, it, but it's also so hard because it's so different. And like, I think Runaways is a perfect example because it's such a different book. It has such a different feel to so many other series. To its credit, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah, it, it is stunningly great. Yeah. And this is sort of the perfect issue. If if you are one of our listeners out there who have not read an issue of Runaways, or you haven't re- read this series or whatever, this is the one I say. Just pick this up. Yeah. Pick this one up. It's not necessarily like the like the a star, great quote unquote jumping on point, but I am kind of like personally against having to only jump in at a certain point. Like right. I think you can get into a comic yeah. at any single point. There's yeah. ways to get in, and this one will bring you in and make you want to read the previous twenty issues. You, the art, the writing, the characters, the planning. It is about, for me, as perfect as it gets. It opens with Chase at a superstore. He's there. He's going to pick up tampons and soldering irons and dinosaur food for the house. Uh, and then he's, like, obliviously flirting with <laughs> the girl who uh, who's there. She's like, she's like, do you need a girl guide to get you through the store? You obviously, don't know what you're trying to buy. He's like, no, nah, sure, yeah. And they go through. It's really – it is so adorable. The looks on each of their faces, Andre – had such shoes to fill after Chris, Chris Anka, who's still doing covers, Andre crushing it, absolutely crushing it. Like their looks are like achingly cute, sexy, perfect, Mm -hmm. fun, flirty. Uh, The dialogue is so adorable and and like you just want to be like, oh my God, make out right now. Just (laughs) get to it. And then you flip the next page and it's a spread, two pages wide with 16 panels of Carolina at therapy. So good. And it is a very – it's almost the same shot for every single panel. She's just moving around a little bit. But her body language, yeah, yeah. the 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 depth of storytelling in – if you could take away all the dialogue there, you would know exactly how she feels. This is like such an amazing example of like – of a couple of things for me. It's just like the thing of like setting up the very specific parameters for what is happening here. It's literally just – she's just sitting in a chair and talking. And then the ability of this art team to conjure up this amazing acting in there that you just you feel so engrossed. Every panel feels different. It's so amazing. This this felt like this should be like in a class for comic book art. Yeah, you know, totally. Uh, and I'm sure Rainbow had such an important point to play in how yeah. this was laid out and what she was looking for out of this and, and what she imagined because the dialogue is so crucial to it. And it's so relatable, and it has one of my favorite panels. It's right at the end. Carolina looking straight at the camera saying, quote, I feel like I'm going to have to give up all the things that make me happy just to have enough energy for all the things that keep me sane. Right. And, like, that is just the, like, perfect reflection of, of who we are as people at various times in our lives. Mm-hmm. Whether you, you have superpowers or not, I don't know anyone who hasn't found that. Right. Like, felt that way. Uh, but to have this character who... Then 
goes and saves lives to the big superheroing moment pages later. Beautiful, beautiful page. It's like a silent splash page of what she does mm-hmm. after the. Uh, it's gorgeous stuff. You know, it's all of this helps to bring into perspective what's going on with the character, with the book, you know, ties it to the reader. It's just, it is a masterclass mm-hmm. on storytelling. It's great because what is Rainbow is less than two years in the writing comics. Yeah. <laughs> wow. And then you have moments at home with Chase and the rest of the house, these two panels with Old Lace that just fill my heart with joy. It's just, mm-hmm. Old Lace is so happy to see Chase. Old Lace is so happy to see food. It's so great. Yeah. And then the conversation between Chase and Molly destroyed me. I was like right. dead. And then I was reborn <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, because I died again because of the last few pages. And what happens? There's just delicious drama, perfect character. Like this is a book I would say, yep, this issue was perfect. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, totally. Okay, following you with my uh, first pick of the week, which is Shuri number eight. It's written by Nidia Korafor with art by Rachel Stott, colors by Carlos Lopez, and letters by VC's Joe Sabino. We have here Shuri in the Black Panther costume, which is so cool. Uh, It's something that I love to see, something that I think just works brilliantly. Uh, But as I was reading this issue, what really stood out to me and why I picked it is because it felt just amazingly balanced. There are so many different things that I think it touched on in such a measured way that I think led the story forward beautifully, that I think served the character so wonderfully well, served the world of Wakanda, and captured so many different elements. And, and what I'm thinking of specifically with that last part is, you know, for me, ta Coates has left such an indelible mark on what the world of Black Panther is uh, in recent years, building up the mythology, talking about the gods, talking about the influence of the elders of Wakanda, of their priorities, kind of where the foundation on a spiritual level is. And I think this issue opens up with kind of these elder women of Wakanda putting their trust in Shuri, pushing her forward, laying out the difficulties ahead, but also we have such faith in this character. This issue was all about balance for me because I think it touched on so many different points of things that I love from super intimate to the giant monster superhero uh, you know, action to this kind of the the spiritual, like I said, foundation of Wakanda to the political and societal implications of everything that's going on. Uh, it hits so much in, you know, just 20 pages. And this was like a real testament to Nettie's writing for me. I think uh, it was, like I said, I think it captured the spirit of Black Panther, which is so appropriate, you know, seeing Shuri in the costume. It's it just works so well. Nettie also comes up with a hit song yes. in, in Wakanda called 24-7 Vibranium, uh, which I want to know what that song sounds like. Same. I want to hear it. I want to know what she like imagines that song to be. I, as I was reading it, you, you kind of have these like captions of the song kind of playing over the action. Like I was getting pumped up even though I don't know what the song yeah. sounds like. Yep. It was so cool. It was great. All right. Up next, we've got two Star Wars books. First one is Star Wars Age of Rebellion, Jabba the Hutt, number one, written by Greg Pak with art by three people, Emilio Liso, Roland Boshi, and Marco Torini, with colors by Andre Smosa, Rochelle Rosenberg, and Niraj Minan, with lettering by VCs Travis Lanham. Three sort of pencilers here because we're looking at three different settings. One, you're on, you know, like, 
at a, at a bar, this high end place, and then we're in uh, Jabba's palace, mm-hmm. and then one we're sort of off on the dunes of Tatooine. So each of the artists takes on a different one, and I I gotta give major shouts to Marco Torini who handles the bits that feature Jabba on Tatooine. There's, he's just so detailed, yeah. and his art is so incredible, especially the the way he draws Jabba's faces. Mm-hmm. Like, so many great expressions, especially burping. He's got a couple yeah. of panels of Jabba burping, but they look so great. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, you know, it's a really fun story of how Jabba gets what Jabba wants. Yeah. And uh, even when he's making everyone else think that they're in control of their own destinies— He's a mover, he's a shaker, he's the one in control. Yeah, a fun thing for Star Wars fans here is that we get to see Jabba hanging out on Canto Bite, as seen in Star Wars Episode Eight: The Last Jedi. Of course that's a place he would hang out. It's like, you know, like scummy people doing bad things. Like, of course he's been there. Uh, okay, uh, next up we have Star Wars Galaxy's Edge number two. Uh, the story here is by Ethan Sachs, art by Will Sliney, colors by Dono Sanchez Almara with Proto Bunker, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. This is so fun, and it works so well for me because, as we all know, you know, Galaxy's Edge, the themed land coming to Disneyland and Disney World this year, it's new. It's a new thing, and, you know, building out the mythology of that place is just getting started. But what this comic series is doing so amazingly for me is it's just like it's embedding it in the history of Star Wars in a way that feels so natural. I mean, the first page here of this story completely unexpectedly for me what is where we witness the death of Kiati Mundi when order 66 was put on the Jedi where is Kiati Mundi fall in your list he, of greatest Jedi he's pretty far up there I, I thought you would be a big Kiati Mundi I, I like him a lot okay. I, yeah he's probably for those who don't know their Star Wars super well yeah. he's the like egghead yeah. shaped you know like Conehead, the Conehead yes. from the Saturday Night Live. <laughs> yes. He's got like the Conehead shape, head, bald, yeah. great mustache. Yeah. Super cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, uh, you know, he's like a wise dude, but he, you know, he gets shot to death by his own clone troopers. Yeah. Um, Betrayed. Yes. It's fun because we follow the journey of his lightsaber in a really interesting way. And we jump between different time eras to see, you know, what was happening on Mangito, which is the planet where Kiari Mundi died, back to Black Spire Outpost. A certain green dude, Greedo, <laughs> pops up in here, which is so much fun. And like I said, it just buries it more and more uh, and just kind of colors, you know, this world in a way that just feels totally natural. Like all these characters that we've known for so long, they know this place. They've been here. They've, uh, you know, it's it's certainly not new to them. And so, uh you know, entering it and getting to explore it via their perspectives and their stories is is just perfect. I don't know a lot about Greedo outside yeah. of, you know, the, the Han scene. Yeah. It got me thinking about that and then thinking about younger Star Wars fans. Will they even know that question. Han shot first? Right. Do they just, like, has that just been erased from, from their right. learnings? Right. Like, history was changed. This is a really good question. We got to get like our digital media like insights team on this. Yeah. All right. Up next, we've got Tony Stark, Iron Man number 
11. This one is written by Dan Slott and Jim Zub with art by Valeria Skiti, colors by Edgar Delgado, letters by VC Joe Caramagna. I don't want to spoil a super ton here. This is sort of wrapping up this bigger story arc that's been going on. But Tony's got a new armor and it is called the God Killer. Mm. He needs this. Because he needs something so big, so powerful, because he has to take down the controller who is just out of control. <laughs> uh, the armor has this great design, which when you when you read this book, when you see it, long-term Iron Man fans will pick up on what this is connected to, like, immediately. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's also a couple of references within this issue that tie to that armor in really interesting ways. Uh, there's also... Like tons of classic Dan Slotness in here. Like you yeah. know, you get your big wrap up story with ties to the older stuff that you'll enjoy if you know it, but will not get in the way if you don't. It's mm-hmm. not like you're missing something. It is just sort of like, oh, here's a little bit of whipped cream on the top. Right. Plus, there's tons of setup and springboard for what's to come in a really touching final page. Yeah, totally. All right, next up we have The Unstoppable Wasp, number eight. It's written by Jeremy Whitley with art by Gudahiro. And letters by VCs Joe Caramagna. This is really fun. And I, I so appreciate Jeremy really focusing in on the personal aspects of Nadia's story so much in, in these early issues because I think it grounds things in such an amazing way. And I think really this character deserves it just as much as, as any other. So getting to explore her relationship with Janet getting to explore her her difficulties and her troubles with bipolar disorder. Um, last issue, we saw her have a birthday party with a bunch of different people. Uh, it's just been uh, looking at the her and the Agents of Girl from from a really personal, intimate perspective, uh, and I've loved that so much. Uh, and now, you know, I think what's so useful about that is you know when we move into the more superhero action, the bigger you know the bigger kind of spy type infiltration stuff that we see in this issue. You know, we just feel it even more. We see Bucky Barnes is involved uh, in a really great way. That is just super exciting to see. And Mockingbird. And Mockingbird. They're on a mission. Um, We obviously, at the end of the prior issue, we we kind of had a a revelation about Nadia's mother. Um, So as that is continuing to unfurl, we're also seeing new characters, question mark? Maybe we'll we'll see. Uh, I think it's kind of yet to be revealed uh, who's behind certain masks. But the designs, at least, of, of that and those characters are freaking awesome uh and uh really excited to see where this goes next heck yeah all right strap yourselves in it's time for six straight war of the realms tie-ins and i have no idea where we're going because tucker reordered our books it's it's just it made sense to me it's the wild west here (laughs) what do i got first Ah, i'm talking about actually it works well yeah considering we're talking about the wild west war of the realms (laughs) journey into mystery issue number three this is written by the McElroys, drawn by Andre Limarohu, and colors by Chris O'Halloran, with letters by VCs Clayton Cowles. I love this one. It was nearly one of my picks. This is, you know, the you got the Babysitters Club, this crew who are trying to watch over and protect Lausa, the Odin's daughter, who is being chased after by Ares. Uh, you've got this big crew, and they find themselves in an Old West amusement park town, kind of like a Ren Fair yeah. or a colonial village, which is really neat. It is called Six Gun Territory. <laughs> Just love this whole idea, you know, tip to tail. 
Uh, Deathlock, one of the characters who is watching over Losa, is a big fan, which is super fun. She's got all these reference points. She's just she loves old west stuff. She's a mm-hmm. nerd for it. So you, you look through her eyes as to what makes this so special, and then yeah. that brings you right into it. Really fun moments in here with Thori and Miles going for a walk together. Uh, Sebastian Druid pretending to be a tough guy in a mirror. Balder giving mad props to Kate Bishop. And then, of course, all kinds of Old West Marvel characters. Yeah. A uh, bunch of cameos in here. Andre's doing some really mega work here. There's a double-page spread that is this action-packed look at the Western characters fighting our heroes and sort of just this big snapshot of what this book is, and it is poster-worthy. It is gorgeous, yeah. gorgeous stuff. Uh, and, of course, his reaction faces often for Miles are just so rad. The last panel of this book, though, is glorious and ominous, and I can't wait to read more. Totally. Uh, okay, next up we have War of the Realms, New Agents of Atlas, number two. It's written by Greg Pak, drawn by Gang Hyuk Lim, colored by Federico Blee, lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. Trying to go off the top of my head, name as many New Agents of Atlas as possible. We have Amadeus Cho, Shang-Chi, Jimmy Wu, Wave, Arrow, Swordmaster, Crescent and Io. Um, so Crescent and Io, do we count them as one or I, two? Okay, well, we recently did an article on Marvel.com where we listed, where we kind of did an intro to the new Agents of Atlas. They did come as a package deal. They do because <laughs> Io only really comes out yes. when Crescent puts on the mystical mask. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Um, uh, I know I'm missing one or two. Silk. Silk. Yeah, Silk is in there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kamala is heavily involved to, to she's, this she's point. She's definitely in this issue. Yeah. Pele or Pele. Yes. Uh, yep. You know, she shows up. Yeah. I th- think maybe that that's it. That might be it. Okay. Um, basically, what's so much fun about... Oh! Luna Snow. Yeah, I was back. I had the <laughs> same <laughs> moment of... Rev- like, oh! Yeah. Uh, Luna Snow, K-pop superstar. Okay. What's so fun about this story, and, you know, they're kind of all lining up to fight Cinder in the midst of the War of the Realms action. It's so fun to see them in this cauldron because their true natures comes out. It's like kind of the perfect way to get to know these characters is to see them in action, see them dealing with problems, see them working together or sometimes not working together. What was also super fun for me here to see this, and I think part of it was knowing that it's Greg Pak writing this, it's so fun to see Amadeus in this leadership position because it feels like real, we're witnessing real major growth for this character that we've known for so long, uh, a character that we really got to know super well in Totally Awesome Hulk, ser- Hulk series. Um, and uh, this is this feels like it's asking so much of him uh, as a person. Um, he's kind of barely, you know, hanging on, uh, but, uh, you know, he's doing his best nonetheless, and it feels like real. we're witnessing real growth. Great action, great stuff all around. Uh, yeah, really loved it. Yeah. All right, up next is War of the Realms, The Punisher, number two, written by Jerry Duggan, drawn by Marcelo Ferreira, inked by Roberto Poggi, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, letters by VCs Corey Pettit. Uh, This one, it sees Frank Castle leading a group of wounded patients and then their doctors and nurses through the Lincoln Tunnel with the help of some inmates. Yeah. It is a brutal, brutal issue. I really love this issue. This felt like a kind of mixture of, like, Cormac McCarthy's The Road with like 
some sort of like French resistance tale, you know? It's yeah. like there's it's all not this quite as bleak as the it's road. It's not quite nothing as bleak. is quite as bleak but as what the I road. Mean is like... I, I just wanted to crawl <laughs> yeah, <I know. laughs> and fade away after yeah. reading that. But it's just like there's all this stuff happening like above ground here, and you know, Frank is just doing his best to like lead people to safety, but also deal with like the nefarious, you know, nincompoops that show up and try to ruin it. Yeah. Uh at one point a troll jumps on a dude and dismembers him. Yeah. Uh this is not an issue for the faint at heart. Jerry, I believe, has a lot of anger inside of him. Uh, he has Frank shoot a troll in both of its eyes, blinding it. Then he says, "This Frank, the Punisher says, quote, you're going to bleed out of the holes I just put in your head while you listen to us kill all your brothers. Oof. What is going on, Jerry? <laughs> I got to text him. Make sure he's okay. okay. <laughs> it, this is just fire and blood and dismemberment uh, aplenty. Uh, okay, next up is War of the Realms Strike Force, The Land of Giants, number one. And it's my second pick of the week. Hoo boy. This is some good stuff. It's written by Tom Taylor, penciled amazingly by Jorge Molina, inked by Andriano Benedetto, colored by David Curiel, and lettered by VCs Joe Sabino. This is, this is a War of the Realms tie-in series that, for me, as close as possible, feels like the epicness of War of the Realms yep. proper. Mm-hmm. It is so huge. It's so good. The art is incredible. I loved it so much. It it feels, it just, it captures that tone and that spirit of like, this is a really immense story of like, super significance i couldn't even tell you why it's just something about the boldness of the colors something about the movement of it something colors about, really they just explode yeah in this issue. And it's something about the the way that characters are revealed and emerge it, it is just so spectacular we get to see spider-man captain america riding a winged horse uh which is just so much fun i, I you know we're huge fans of tom taylor is writing he has such range because he can write some of the funniest books that we read, but he can write something like this, which is, yes, both super fun, funny, you know, super character driven, but also just huge in scale. Uh, and just the vibe of it really just kind of leaps off the page. So and good. makes you care so much for a character you've just met yep. and may not know by the end of the story. <laughs> right. It's two weeks in a row. Yeah. He's done yeah, that. That's right. And you're just like, how dare you? Yeah. It, it is really amazing. Like this feels like... If this if this story was just like in the pages, if this instead of being called Strike Force, the Land of Giant, if this was just called like Avengers, it it would totally slot in just yes. because it it has that kind of um, big banner story uh, vibe to it. It's so excellent. The stuff with Daredevil going on in here, the way that that is visualized, the God Without Fear uh, aspect of it is just gorgeous. Um, uh, like I said, the art team on this issue are just crushing it. I mean, some of the stuff that we get to see with like, I mean, like, look at this, where like the silhouette of Captain America, we see Luke Cage who's kind of like being blown back by the energy being put out by uh daredevil sword kind of flying on these winged horses. We have, uh, uh, Danny Rand and Luke and Wolverine cap and Spidey on this mission, uh, uh, obviously, to the land of the Frost Giants. It's just so, so good. Um, so this takes place between issues one and three of War of the Realms proper. Right. So there's elements that happen yeah. throughout those issues, yeah. which is why it's come out now. So you get the full, 
like if you're just reading War of the Realms, you know sort of the broad strokes of what happens here. This getting into their mission adds so much where I want to go back and read it and then yeah. like like I want to slot pages in. I I want to do a definitive right. reading of War of the Realms where you take individual pages and put them in order right. where they would be in the bigger story because yeah. I want this as you said in the middle of War of the Realms it fits in perfectly literally every single page I'm just like the movement the feeling it's so spectacular well, there's you, know, you pass by a two page spread where it got really intense there's this two page spread where a winged horse is killed Wolverine tears apart a frost giant another frost giant's fingers are sliced off and then it's pummeled to death Mm-hmm. And that's just one bit. And then two pages later, you have Spidey and Wolverine talking. You find out Wolverine has just messed with Spidey when he gave him the helmet. He just like goofed on him. Yeah. And like Wolverine is in the middle of cutting into some frost giants, but he's <laughs> grinning and he's like giggling to himself. <laughs> yeah. It is fantastic. Man, cannot recommend enough. Iron Fist literally punches something so hard it explodes. Yeah. <laughs> Get this comic. <laughs> you, if you're not even reading War of the Realms, you need to read this Seriously. comic. If you're just like, oh, I like Spider-Man, get this comic. You like yeah. anything, yeah. get this comic. All right. War of the Realms, Uncanny X-Men, number two, written by Matthew Rosenberg, drawn by Perry Perez, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, and letters by VCs Travis Lanham. So timing for this one is after War of the Realms, number two, but before some of the events of the most recent Uncanny X-Men issues. That's something to keep in mind. Uh, It's just how timing is with monthly comics. If you're reading both and, you know, you're like, especially if you're reading regular Uncanny X-Men and you see some characters in this issue who you're like, wait, that doesn't make sense. Just remember this, the... Ordering is a little bit different. Yeah. This takes let's ju- let's just say War of the Realms takes place before a lot of the Uncanny X Men stuff. Good, great, we're all good, great. <laughs> the the X Men have uh, we find them that they've created a, a fort out of the baseball field that is in Queens, New York, <laughs> whereupon Spidey's favorite baseball team plays. I, you will know my meaning. It is uh, it is named after one of uh, a very well known uh, baseball player. That's really fun. Mm-hmm. I had to show it to John Cirilli, who is a big fan of that that baseball team. And <laughs> he like took a picture of it. He was really happy about it. But they're holding up there, protecting the innocents and going out for rescue missions. But Perry does some really cool design work here, uh, especially with Cyclops, Havoc, Multiple Man, and some of the other characters, giving them these like they have to wear colder weather gear mm-hmm. and they just look like they're a little bit more rugged. Cyclops in particular looks like he would have fit in with the Battle of Winterfell on Game yeah. of Thrones. Uh, but Sabretooth is in this full-on bad guy, twisted, scary Sabretooth, which I love. And then at the end, there's a nice surprise for long-term X-Factor fans. Ooh. Uh, okay, next up we have Venom, which I put in order as this. Okay, this is Venom number 14. All right? Fine. Yeah. Okay. But also, it's War of the Realms tie-in. So, but it's not called War of the Realms I know colon it's not. Venom. I know it's The not. others were called War of the Realms colon blah, blah, blah. You're right. You're right. But there is that nice, beautiful War of the Realms logo on the front. Ooh. Your logic doesn't hold up because <laughs> you doesn't. didn't move as Guardians of the Galaxy. You didn't move Moon it doesn't hold up. Dinosaur. It just happened to be like next to them in the stack. So it's like, hey, you're part of the party. Anyway, this is Venom number 14, War of the Realms tie-in. It's written by... Colin Bunn, uh, illustrated by Ivan Coelho, colored by Andres Moson, lettered by VCs Clayton Cowles. This is really fun for me because uh, we get this great bookend of 
Dylan Brock and how this whole thing is influencing him, where he fits into it, I really love. And I think it speaks to all the layers and potential for that character who, you know, we only were introduced to a a couple months ago or something. I think it speaks to the potential and the power of that character, um, how well it fits in. And, and, you know, I I see big things for the future of Dylan. Um, But as we have here, we have um, just some awesome, wicked exactly what the doctor ordered venom action in war of the realms you know it harkens back a little bit at least you know definitely visually to cullen's previous run on venom uh, a lot of the venomized stuff things like that which i was a huge fan of it just looked so good in here this felt like um, matt rosenberg's punisher-esque kind of issue because it's all fire and flames and nonstop action great story all the way through really inventive uh, panel work by Iben just really really great stuff and like I said uh, kind of all tethered to this Dylan story all along which I think just works wonderfully heck yeah all right we are out of the war of the realms tie-ins Woo! all nine all in nine. the books <laughs> uh, two more books left to talk about first being Wolverine Infinity Watch number four written by Jerry Duggan art by Andy McDonald colors by Jordi Belair and letters by VCs Corey Pettit Something I just noticed while looking at the credits page, there's a sick burn on Wolverine in this credits page. The main characters are all in their individual little uh, character bubbles Mm -hmm. uh, to tell you who's in the book. Wolverine and uh, Phoenix Logan have their own, but their heads are cut off because they're tiny. Yeah. Making (laughs) fun of his his stature. I wonder if that's a Jerry joke. (laughs) I don't know. Anyway, I love this book a ton. You got Wolverine and Loki and Bats the Ghost Dog trying to save Hector Bautista, the guy who is bonded to the time gem. They're up in space. They're, like, doing some wild stuff. Wolverine is getting burned and tortured at the beginning of this issue. We eventually... Of course, he gets free. So you get naked Wolverine running around <laughs> a space station in full-on Hot Claws Berserker rage. Uh, and it is amazing. At one point, Bats is there and he witnesses this going on. And he says, quote, wow, they let you be an Avenger? <laughs> Which is, yeah, that's the reaction. Yeah. Naked Wolverine flopping around, cutting things up with his Hot Claws. It's great. Uh, there's some really sweet and sad bits here with Robbie Ryder and his family that I absolutely adore. Plus... We got the Time Variance Authority. I'm Mm. so excited I get to say that. It's a rarity. (laughs) More TVA, please. All right. Last issue this week is X-Force number eight, which is written by Ed Brisson with art by Dylan Burnett, colors by Jesus Abertov, and letters by VCs Corey Pettit. This squad includes Cable, Domino, Shatterstar, Warpath, Cannonball, Deathlock, Boom Boom, and we also have Mr. Strife involved uh, in a really interesting way. There's a fun... Reference to I forget I was gonna, I meant to ask you about it here now the what's the cable strife eyes quote stab his eyes yeah that there's a fun little shout out to that we got going on here I need but I need <laughs> full on straight up one of them like screaming with like their armor exploding yeah. I was like stab his eyes I'm <laughs> yeah. so because he's just so angry and all he could do is think about stabbing his eyes yeah here um I really love Dylan's work I've spoken about it I think a lot. But uh, in this issue specifically, as we get to follow uh, X-Force along on this this kind of time kind of mission, there is a, a really great H.R. Giger kind of feeling mm. of influence in, in, in some of the like more monstrous elements uh, that come into play. Really, really cool stuff. 
uh, I think works perfectly with this X-Force squad with the mission they're on. It's great. Okay, uh, moving from issues on sale now to collections, we have Champions Because the World Still Needs Heroes, Fantastic Four, Volume 2, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Grimm, Silver Surfer, Epic Collection, Inner Demons, Star Comics, Planet Terry, The Complete Collection, Star Wars, Legends, Epic Collection, The Rebellion, Volume 3. On Marvel Unlimited, there's a ton of the more recent books, of course, but a couple of things got to point out. Daughters of the Dragon, the Marvel digital original, the first issue of that is in Marvel Unlimited. If you missed it, it is incredible. Yeah, that issue specifically we freaked out about. Go read it right now. It is available, uh, I believe, at this time already. Um, There's some wild... I can't believe that Planet Terry issues are available. It is wild. It's a kid's book. Starbrand, so we get some new universe stuff from the 80s. And what is really neat, the Thanos, the Infinity Conflict original graphic novel Mm. is now in Marvel Unlimited. So the OGN, a big honking thing that was like a hardcover, is now in, uh, in Unlimited. Man... Marvel Unlimited sure is a great uh, value. <laughs> I totally agree. It really is. I love no, it so great. much. Awesome. Uh, that's it for this episode. We've got so much. Hope you didn't miss out on our August preview video yeah. that's still out there. And we've got our uh, 80th anniversary special episode where we're going to look back at some 80s books. So stay tuned. Lots of fun stuff for Marvel's Apollos. Oh, yeah. I'm Ryan. And I'm Tucker. This is Marvel. Your universe.